Let us just pray. Father, we come before you tonight. We thank you, Lord, to gathered in your house with your people. Father, we pray that you would speak to us now by your spirit, through your word. But Father, you have something to say to us every time we open the word up, Lord. And Father, this message this morning of encouragement, of knowing who we belong to, where our value comes from, who our identity is in, Father. We, we just thank you for that this morning, that we find all of those in you. And Father, as we come, would you, would you help us, Lord? You know the, the different circumstances and situations that many people are dealing with at the moment, Father. Father, they look to you, Lord, for an answer, for comfort, for reassurance, for strength and encouragement, Father. And there's no better place for any of that to come than from your word, Lord. And Father, we thank you for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I've tired what I'm going to share with you this morning. Uh, you are mine. If you say um, there's something is, is, is yours, you, you say that's mine, don't you? It could be something of value. It could be something uh, possession. It says maybe uh, something in your house is of extreme value to you and you say it's mine. It's not for anybody else to touch. You don't want anybody else to share it. Uh, you're not giving it to anybody else to use. You're really saying, it's mine. Uh, and, uh, and when you say this, it says it's talking about something that belongs. You're talking about a possession, uh, aren't you? I'm trying to think of an illustration as I do always when I come to, to preach. And I remember once taking the youth club out from the Rock Centre about 20, 22, 23 years ago, one Christmas. And we took them down to the pizza hut that was on the Dublin Road. And all the young people sat upstairs, and which there was a balcony over all the diners that were sitting downstairs. Immediately I realised this was a terrible idea to see young people above all the diners that were sitting downstairs because obviously once they'd eaten all their pizza, they suddenly decided that some of the pizza didn't need to remain upstairs. It needed to go downstairs over the balcony. So the, apologies if any of you were dining there that night. Anyway, they were, uh, the pizza went over the top. We tried to get the kids to stop it. They were not interested. I thought, I need to go downstairs to pay the bill and get us out of here and stuff. And as I went down the stairs, I passed this fella on the stairs coming up who had big, thick muscles, was built. Uh, like a, a bodybuilder who looked obviously angry and annoyed because as he was eating his pizza, some extra pizza had landed near him from upstairs. And he said to me, he said, do you know who those young people are upstairs? Looking at him, I turned around and said, I haven't a clue. I don't know who they are. I wasn't going to claim them as mine for fear of him holding me responsible. I know I told her a little fib, but it was for my own personal safety because <laughs> he may well have taken it out on me and I was not taking responsibility for these uh, young people that night. But it would be true today as well. Uh, when we talk about something that's ours, if we look at it uh, from God's point of view, that identity is such a huge issue for the world we live in. Uh, we hear statements from people all the time who talk about what they have chosen to identify as and it could be anything from the weird and wonderful to whatever they've decided uh, their freedom of choice is to identify 
uh, as something uh, and it is a real issue I've said this before this quote because I think it's so very true that we spend our lives trying to discover who we are rather than whose we are and I think the key to our life to our identity to our value is to discover whose we are rather than who we are the danger that creeps into church sometimes and the message sometimes over the recent years not, not here but in, in Christian circles in a sense so, you know we want people to discover who they can be and, 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 and those sort of statements that come out and stuff and about discovering yourself and all of those are good questions to answer but we've got to find those answers in God we're going to find those answers in our value, our identity, our belonging only comes uh, when we discover who we truly are in him because identity creates a sense of belonging and, and so people search and they look, they try things, they experiment uh, we believe that there must be something that, that answers the questions uh, in, in our heart and we fill it with all sorts of things to fill that gap and answer that, that longing question in our life about who, who am I and that question of, of who am I and stuff really can only be answered in a sense uh, by looking to God and it's a question uh, that as I thought about this I read two verses in Isaiah and I thought uh, th this is where the phrase you are mine uh, comes from and it says this it says but now this is what the Lord says he who created you Jacob he who formed you Israel do not fear for I have redeemed you I have summoned you by name you are mine when you pass through the waters I will be with you and when you pass through the rivers they will not sweep over you when you walk through the fire you will not be burned the flames will not set you ablaze it says a few years ago Isaiah was our Covid sermon series and uh, back in the good old days when we couldn't sit near each other and church was set up for 40 people and we did three services and ah uh, we miss all of those days don't we remember those days we, we couldn't shake hands we couldn't hug I never minded the hugging things I'm not really a hugger to be honest with you as most of you discover at the door like uh, but the reality is when we come to Isaiah and have some understanding of it Isaiah writes this this message that God has given him uh, to the people and the first 39 chapters is a warning uh, to the people because the people have messed up they want to live their own way they want to do their own thing and God sends many prophets and no matter how much pleading and warning the people just didn't see it they simply just did not see how they could discover their value their identity their belonging in God that God had created them he had formed them he had redeemed them he was going to look after them and so there was a there, there was in a sense that God was was giving them over uh, to the consequences of their actions uh, the problem was, was what they wanted was not what God wanted uh, for them and where they were headed uh, and so God has sent Isaiah with this most devastating wake-up call in a sense uh, you, you're going to die your nation will be destroyed your homes taken away your lives um, will belong to others and none of them could see it they'd be carried off into captivity God was delivering the, the, the punishment to them and stuff but as it comes to chapter 40 uh, the last uh, 27 verse the last 27 chapters of Isaiah uh, there's a message of hope and encouragement when God brings the warning and the judgment he always brings a message of hope and encouragement we, we preach a message of redemption there is always a way back with God 
and in God. That is the truth of it. There's not a final thing. There is simply, there is always a way of redemption. And all the way through the beginning, all the way from the beginning of Scripture to the end, it is the story of redemption. It's why Jesus Christ came. It's why God sent Jesus to show mercy and hope and forgiveness and love uh, to the world. And here we see this, that even though in the previous chapters the people had been revered as blind and inattentive and they've fallen short of what God had planned for them, at the start of this here in, in chapter 43, we see these two verses and these relate to us today. Uh, maybe we ask ourselves questions about value, identity, belonging and stuff and these help us today. The first one is this, it says that God created them and they were special to him. You know, creation shows that God made us. The cross shows us that God loves us. But the reality is that we believe that in the beginning that God created us male and female. And in that, uh, because that's part of the journey to redemption, because he created us, we were, we're special to him. And this is what comes out in the verse here, that God created them and they were special. You know, if you spend time creating something, building something, uh, uh, that there is something about ownership that, that you take over that, isn't there? Something that you spent time building and creating and making and stuff. And God does that with us. He creates us and then uh, we're special to him because he has created us uh, and stuff. And then the second thing that we see here is that the God redeemed them and called them by name to be those who belong to him. Uh, and this is important in three places here. The first one is God redeemed them, that God brought them back. And we see in the, the, when Jesus came, that's exactly what Jesus did for each and every one of us, that we could not pay for what the price that God required. Uh, and so he sent Jesus so we could be redeemed. But I love this bit, that he called us by name to show our individual, individuality, that we, each and every one of us, are different in everything. We may be basic human beings, but everything about us is different from the person that is sitting next to you. And you might think, thank goodness for that light. But you look at it and say, everybody's different, isn't it? The God has created us uh, and he's called us by names that our names matter. They matter to him. Uh, and it says to those who belong to him, because that's key here. It's the belonging, isn't it? In, in this world that we live in where people struggle with the belonging to anything, it says church, because God creates a sense of belonging and the church is a representation of him. He calls them by name to those who belong to him. It's why he says, you are mine. I mean, when you read that passage, you could have left those three words out. There are times when you read scripture and you think, that, that probably didn't need to be said, but actually it's said to make the point. I have done this for you, you are mine. Uh, and so the third thing that we see here, because it comes through in the second verse, is God protected them in times of trouble. Because he, he gives the, in the first verse, this is what I have done for you. And then he says, this is why you can believe the promise of the second verse. When you, when you go through the waters, when you, well, when you face the flames, it says when you go through the difficult times, when you go through the challenges, he said, listen, you have my protection. I am with you in everything that you are going through because 
you are mine. That God loves each one of us individually, he says. And when we are here this morning, each of us will have our own stories, our own circumstances and situations that we are facing. But those three words sort of are spoken over all of us today from this passage when God says, you are mine. And here God expresses his love uh, for the people and the benefits of that love. When he says this, he says, do not fear. It's a command accompanied by the promises. You know, that God tells people, do not fear. This is a reason why you shouldn't fear. The, the one you are mine, I will be with you. All the stuff that you face. And you see, here in the context of this story, you know, the, the outward circumstances for the people here as they read this was that they had every reason to be afraid there was an army coming. That they, they, they were going to be taken into exile. And God points them past the present circumstances to both this command and this promise that says, do not fear, and this is the reason why you should not fear. It's a declaration of why God loves us. He has created us. He determined to have a people of his own. He brought them into being and shaped them on the wheel of circumstances. When we read scripture from beginning to end, we see the concern that God has for each and every person and the situations that they face in life. When Jesus, when we read the stories in the Gospels, one of the things I always love, and I've shared this recently and stuff, that it would be so easy for Jesus as the Son of God to do everything he did with crowds. I mean, it would just gather thousands, and he did that at times. He did that with the feeding of the 5,000 and, and other stories where the crowds gathered around him. But most of Jesus' stories and his interactions were always with individuals. They were always with individuals, all with people that were broken, who were lost or in need of healing or in need of hope. I mean, he was the Son of God. He had come to redeem the whole of mankind, yet here as we read the Gospels, the Gospel writers, all four of them, make it so important that he deals with the individual, the one person, on what they are going through and what is happening to them, almost as a security, as an illustration in a sense of, of this is what God has done for us from the beginning to the end, concerned about each and every one of us. And, you know, I, I said then that the second thing we see, that he has redeemed us. That God made himself responsible for those he had created. They are his family and he shoulders their needs as if their own. It's his why we're encouraged to cast our burdens upon him. That he cares for us. He takes upon us the things that are happening. He doesn't leave us to our own devices. He gives us the strength and he gives us the uh, courage. He gives us the encouragement. Everything that we need to face everything that we're going through. But in that redemption, he looks at it and says, they messed up. How do I fix the problem of the messing up? So he gives his son, Jesus Christ, to fix the problem of us messing up pays that uh, in a sense not even that but he who was most valuable to him he, he did that as a plan way from the beginning to say this is what matters to bring them back uh, to me that's the redeeming and there's nothing they do and, and then we said that he has summoned us by name you know that it's important for us to see here the association with creation that God created them God formed them 
He says often people have so little value of themselves, not because, uh, maybe because of stuff that has happened to them or stuff that has been spoken to them or things that have gone on in their lives. And yet when we look for our identity and our value and our belonging in God and we read verses like the two verses we read today, we simply see how God feels about us. But also the words that he has written about us and the price that he has paid for us. He says, you know, I, I don't know if you ever watch any of these antique road shows and those, those programs on the telly where somebody finds something their great granny gave them and they bring it down to an expert because they're trying to find out how much it's worth. You know, and all of them turn around and say the thing, you know, I'm not thinking of selling it. And you know that's a barefaced lie because if you find something that's worth a few thousand quid that your granny gave you, you know, unless it's of sentimental value, you're selling it once you find find out the value of it and people will bring down all these sorts of things and they will ask the expert what the value of it is and they look at it and the expert looks at it and he says this is made you know 1789 and it comes from you know this family and, and, and it survived this and it's worth this and all everybody wants to know is how much is it worth they're interested in where it comes from they're interested how much is it worth and then they're thinking who can I sell it to uh, and so they find out the value of it and then they decide what they're going to do with it in a sense God puts us on display and then attaches the value to it and is it a million is it two million is it 150 million actually he says it's the cross just says there's a picture of your value he says it's the cross of my son that went to the cross view that's how valuable you are not in pounds and pence but actually the value is tied to the cross because that was the price to redeem us to bring us back and in redeeming us he says we then get our sense of value and identity and belonging but above all else we we understand a little bit more what that verse says there when God says you are mine you are mine the demonstration is the cross that declares you are mine you know when you, when you get married you know you stand at the front of the church and you don't have to say anything but the person you're marrying you're declaring it to the world you're saying they're mine they're they're they're, they're mine he says and you're saying to the person you're marrying he says you are mine he says some of you are looking thinking oh don't remind me you know you are mine he says that's the public demonstration declaration of that God does the same thing with Jesus on the cross when he puts him on the cross and Jesus dies there on the cross he's had this declaration demonstration to the world that says you are mine and he says we, we see that and we read that the, he or the, the redeemer who is God paid the price for us because he created us and formed us and so he called us his he has both rights of ownership as creator for he made us and redeemer because he paid the price for us. Someone said his ownership is personal because he says I have called you by name but that ownership is certain because he says you are mine. God twice owns his people. He has a right of ownership here as I said of creator and redeemer. And so what does that do for us if we read that in the first verse? Knowing that we belong to God is a wonderful answer to fear. For he knows he holds on to us, he protects us. 
He gives us everything that we need. He guards us and he cares for us. Second verse gives us the reason, in a sense, for the first verse, that he will strengthen us, he will help us, he will uphold us, because we will face enemies, we will face battles, as we've heard in what we've sung this morning at the table, the opposition. And so the promise here is tied to the giver of the promise. It says if you make a promise, it is always tied to the one who makes the promise. You know, I, I can make a promise to you. Uh, if I said to you, at the door today, I'm giving everybody in church £20. It says, one, you would look at it and think, <laughs> no, you're not. It says, we know how tight you are. It says, firstly. <laughs> B, you would look at it and say, well, I don't know how many people are in here. It would cost me a fortune and stuff. And I couldn't give it. Paula wouldn't give me the money from the church. And Athena wouldn't give me the money from the bank account. So I couldn't do that. So the tying of the promise is always in the one who is giving the promise. And yet when God gives the promise here, we can trust him and believe him because the foundation of the promise is I've called you, I've created you, I have redeemed you, I've called you by name. And then he says, this is what you can stand on the promises now because I am the giver of the promise. And he says this because we look here and the trials and the troubles that come, Sometimes we face the trial of water. Sometimes we face the trial of fire. And so it's interesting that, that in our trials, uh, they use this illustration, the floods. Floods overwhelm, but fires consume. And how often in life do we feel overwhelmed by the difficulties and the troubles and the circumstances that come our way that they can overwhelm us. But maybe there's another sort of trial and trouble that we face that they consume us and that's often from the inside out. Those things we spend our time thinking about, those things that consume us uh, from in here. Uh, and, and God addresses the two of them. Uh, and you see, sometimes we'll face the water which tries to drown us. We, we struggle for breath, both in the physical sense and the spiritual sense, because we feel the circumstances of life are ready to drown us, to overwhelm us. And so we see that there are rivers which try to overwhelm us, but then sometimes we see that there are fires which try to destroy us, that, that things that consume us like that. And we look at it that those things happen, and sometimes uh, the flames which try to consume us. And you know, the promise here that comes, it doesn't say if, it says when you pass. And, and you know, that's an important one because we look at it and think, oh, you know, maybe because I belong to God, because He formed me, created me, He called me, I'll not face any of these problems, these difficulties, uh, these challenges that come in the trials and troubles of life. And hey, we all know you do, don't you? We all know we're not given that get out of jail free card. But here is the confidence in the promise. It doesn't say if, it says when you pass. It doesn't say destroy, it says we will pass. Going through the rivers of difficulty and the fire of trials often will cause us to drown or be consumed. But God uses them to make us stronger. Because he understands, as he, these words are written to the people, as he lays out the promises and he's the giver of the promise. He says, he said, listen, you can't stand on the promise in your own strength. You have to rely uh, on, on God. And so he says, when you walk, and walking, as we know, is the pace you go when you're not in a hurry. 
when you're not concerned or alarmed and that word walk there is used for that that actually when, when our trust is in God when we know we're facing the difficulties because we're not excused from them it says we walk at a pace that simply says we can trust God we're, we're not we're not rushing through so it's Psalm 23 verse 4 it says when you walk to the valley of the shadow of death you know and, and when it says that it says you know the, the, the end bit of the verse it says you are with me the, the, the confidence is in whatever we are facing now that God is with us the confidence here in this passage is exactly the same no matter what we are facing whether it be the floods that try to overwhelm us or the fires that consume us for they will happen you are with me he says and, and those four words we can stand on and often the shorter phrases are God gives us in the Bible in the security and the confidence that we can have you are with me knowing this morning that God is with us no matter what we face the command is do not fear the promise is I will be with you not only is God for us but he is with us as well and so here God would want to give them an outpouring of love he says he's given them the people that warning is shared with them in those first 39 chapters as Isaiah shares he said listen he says the answer your answer is found in me and me alone your value your identity your belonging is found in that truth that you are mine and here we God describes a motivation for his work and his motivation is simply this he loves us we are precious in his sight to demonstrate this he sent Jesus' son who went to the cross for us uh, that's how we are his this morning as we come that's the challenge today you are mine and we stand on those promises today knowing that we belong to God is a wonderful answer to fear we find our belonging in him, our value in him, our identity in him. We can know that he holds us, protects us, guards us and cares for us. We can know that he would not have created us, redeemed us, called us unless he intended to finish his work. That is the security on the ongoing journey of life. He has not given up on us, that he's holding us keeping us uh, because he intends to finish his work in us as Paul writes to the church in Philippians 1 verse 6 he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ further down the line he says why because we are his why he has called us redeemed us named us and we belong to him how can we be afraid today when we know that this God is for us? The declaration and prayer today says you are mine. Let us pray. Father God, we, we come before you today. Father, just even in that message of encouragement, Lord. Help us, Lord, when we look around, when we look within, Father, to look above. For Father, in looking above to you, we find the answers to the questions that we have. Father, if we're concerned about our value, Father, we find that answer in you. For you love us 
And you demonstrated that love by sending your son to die for us. Father, if, if our issue is the belonging, Father God, it says that we are precious in your sight. The Father, you've created us not just to belong to you, but to belong to each other as well. Father, whatever issue that there is, Lord, it says, Father, we can find our answers. Father, the solution. We can find what we're searching for. We can find who we're searching for in you. Uh, and Father, we just thank you for that this morning. The, the Father, you do not give up on us. If we have failed, Father God, the failure is an event and never a person. The Father, you always provide a way of redemption, a way of coming back to you, for nobody's finished in you. And Father, we thank you for that today. Whatever journey, whatever circumstance, whatever situation people in this church are facing this morning, may they be encouraged by some aspect of your word today. For your word is truth and it changes our lives. And we just thank you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen.